0: May 22nd, 2019 is International Flexible Working Day, and my guest today is founder of Flexible Work Day, Vanessa Vanderhoeg. I'm Emma Walsh, founder of Parents at Work. Thanks for listening in. Now, Vanessa started Flexible Work Day only three years ago, and since launching her advocacy to mainstream flexible work initiative, it's reached millions. From humble beginnings, Vanessa shares with us how she started it and why on why flexibility is great for individuals and businesses alike, and importantly, how she's determined to tackle flexism. We explore how Australia is progressing flexible work and why we're well positioned as a nation to continue leading the way of the future of flexible work.
1: Business is really starting to understand that if they don't catch up, then they're going to lose out.
0: So thanks for being here Vanessa. Tell us, let's begin at the start of this. What inspired you to start Flexible Working Day and, and what are you aiming to achieve by celebrating the day?
1: Flexible Working Day is a day where we showcase and celebrate the benefits of flexibility both for individuals but also for businesses. And this year we're in our third year. It began in 2017 and It started really because I was doing some work by accident um, with a large organisation whereby they had a known problem of retaining female talent in leadership roles. And as we started digging deeper, we had a hypothesis that it was due to not, you know, adequate levels of flexibility and support of flexibility. And as that progressed and through the conversations that we had with, leaders and managers we found that flexibility was largely viewed through the lens of it being available for only women part-time and working from home and through those conversations and sharing stories and case studies we found that we made a significant difference. And as a result, I spoke to many big businesses and CEOs and said, look, I think there's a need for Flexible Working Day, a day where we could do something similar by showcasing stories on a national level and really elevating the conversation to really help what I call addressing that flexism, that discrimination against working flexibly and shifting the dial from it being focused on individuals to more of that business and as a result um, the people I spoke with said great idea we're not doing it we don't know how to do it you go ahead and we'll support you and we did it so 2017 was a bit of a test case we reached a million people through the social conversation which was great last year was our second year and we reached almost two million people with across 60 countries so that's six zero countries which said to us let's try again for our third year because there really seems to be an appetite now not only in Australia but also globally to have this conversation around flexibility.
0: Well it's quite an achievement as you say this is your third year and already you've got um, you know one plus two million people sharing this around the world. (laughs) Tell us about, you know, it went from a, it sounds like a, um, you know, a straightforward idea with a, you know, small working group um, that suddenly is global. How do you make that leap? You know, that's fantastic to to get something off the ground so quickly. It sounds like it's spread like wildfire. H-
1: how do you think that came about? Yeah. It really has. And, look, I think it is because so many people, there's, two things around flexibility that I see more and more. It can be that we access it because we want to and it's supporting our life and what we want to achieve in our life and then there's another area for people where they're accessing it because quite frankly they have to. Um, The survey that we did a few years ago said majority of people work because they have to pay the bills And there are a lot of people who access flexibility who need it to function. So I think, you know, it is twofold when we look globally, um, but also here in Australia that people, they're either doing it and they've been doing it for a long time but haven't felt safe to speak up or they're seeing other people doing it and it's that behavioural nudge where they're saying, hey, I want a piece of that. I would love to, you know, finish or start early or... As one company I've seen recently um, has adopted what they call an empower hour, where they give their staff every Wednesday morning two hours to do something that's empowering to them. Mm. And so these stories, it's very, it's a very emotive and it's a very visual um, campaign. So on the day, people share images and their stories on social media. So this year it's on the twenty second of May, and I think just because of that people buy in and share their own stories and then share other people's content which is fabulous.
0: What do you see that's been achieved thus far in the, in the last you know, couple of years that you know you've seen already has been quite a notable difference. Um, you know that you gave a couple of examples. then anything in particular stand out in your mind that you thought yes, we're on the right track. this is, this is really
1: getting through to people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For me and where I, and it was really last year. So the first year was a test case. I was like, I'll give this a go and we'll see what happens. Um, and then when we reached a million people, that was obvious that there was an appetite for a conversation. Last year, what it showed to me is that the conversation is, is changing very quickly. So for 20 or 30 years, it's been a conversation About individuals and an entitlement, largely about those um, stereotypical groups we've spoken about before working, um, parents, part time, from home, those kinds of things. Last year, what we really found was many organizations saying, Look, we're going to use this day and this opportunity to really cement what flexibility means for us as a business strategy and a business initiative, because it is a key enabler for us in retaining and attracting talent. And so that conversation is shifted significantly around it's an employee entitlement, which of course it still is, to more of a global conversation around the future of work, saying, you know, we've got the technology available, customers are actually expecting 24-7 service these days, globalisation, all of these factors how does this fit with our business? And for me, I think that's a really. Um, it personally, I feel like it's a, a huge achievement where we've shifted the conversation.
0: Mm. Yes, yeah, so it, it once was that flexibility was all about, wasn't it, um, helping working mothers after they return to work, as you said, or, or as I said, to you, a, a sexy way of um, you know redefining, really. Um, work yes. actually and you know so 15 years on you know I've seen that change significantly and of course now all the you know top uh, engagement surveys that when people are asked what they're looking for I think flexibility is in the top mm-hmm. three every every year mm-hmm. and you know so clearly it's a competitive advantage mm-hmm. to offer it and I, I think it's not now just for the few is it mm-hmm. this as you say the um you know, where it's only an entitlement for a certain echelon in an organisation or because of a particular reason, but actually mainstreaming it across organisations has really been, you know, the progress I've seen made in in recent years. But tell us, what are the stats? How does Australia compare when it comes to embracing flexible work uh, compared to other nations?
1: Look, the it is tricky with the statistics, and I hear this more, more and more when I go into business. It's around how do you capture... Uh, who works flexibly and the flexible options that they embrace. And I think largely because many organisations, there's formal where you've got a contract that says you work these hours or work from home or whatever it looks like. And then there's the informal where people work flexibly on an ad hoc basis. And many, many organisations, particularly in Australia, because that's what I know best, um do embrace informal flexibility, which isn't recorded. So how businesses are tracking that is through their engagement surveys, asking those kinds of questions, trying to capture it that way, Um, if they're large. And, excuse me, I have my daughter here today. (laughs) Flexible, working at its best. Yes, and as I mentioned... um, She, yeah, she has ups and downs with her disease. And today, because it's winter, um, when you've got a a compressed, um, suppressed rather, (laughs) immune system, you're likely to pick up more bugs. So I'm very flexible. Last year, sorry, this is a bit of a detour, but last year I couldn't start work until 10 o'clock every day. Um, I worked two or three days a week. Last year, I can't remember um, exactly, but I was very clear with my clients. I communicated really um, quite proactively up front around. I couldn't start until 10 o'clock because, quite frankly, she couldn't walk until 10 o'clock in the morning. She'd wake up and she, because of her disease, um, yeah, she was immobile. So that's my story and she's run off now so we're now we're, we're back on track. <laughs> uh, but look, there's no reason why Australia can't lead the way and we see with the Fair Work Commission they have recently made even further changes to the Fair Work Act um, which came into place in 2014 and the changes that were made back in December last year, so December 2018, has indicated that They really want people to have a conversation with people around flexibility and they're they're really um, pushing for it being available for everyone for any reason. There are some, I'm just giving her a banana, excuse me. Um, There are some eligible employees under the Fair Work Act where they have basically said if you fall into one of these categories then you're entitled to work flexibly. And, you know, some examples of that are if you're over the age of 55, if you're a care of um, children of school age, if you have a disability, if you're experiencing violence. And I think because of the Fair Work Act, Australia is, I think, leading the way because it's really raised a conversation. It's made it as a legislative requirement. It's not saying that, you know, the businesses that I go in and work with, they're going above and beyond the Fair Work Act. They're offering it for everybody. Um, But that has really, if you like, set out a baseline. Mm.
0: So good policy from government obviously inspires organisations to lift their own um, standards as well around how that they can, you know, improve flexible work access for people.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, tell me promoting flexible work because it's one thing to have a policy in place or legislation in place but what can be done to normalise men and women working flexibly? Because we know the statistics say that women are far more likely to work flexibly than men and we know that generally that's because women are taking on a larger caring burden than men. And so what what work has to be done to normalise flexibility, Not a, not just in... Mm. Any role, if you like, or any organisation culture, but really getting specific around gender because we know there's a gap between men and women working flexibly.
1: Yes, we, and and there is a gender um, divide, but there's also, you know, we're seeing many people who are reaching retirement or wanting to work flexibly. Uh, people who have disabilities and the like. And that's, I suppose, what really drives me, that it should be available for anyone for any reason. And, look, I think the number one um, factor here or pillar is leadership. It starts and ends with leadership. So if it's leadership in the local community or if it's leadership in an organisation, we see that the leadership through the Flexible Work Ambassadors has a huge impact in um, people sharing their story around how it works for them, but also being really clear and allowing that psychological safety to build around this is what works but also this is what doesn't work. So that's, I suppose, one of the first key steps that I have observed is if the leadership isn't there, you could have every policy and initiative under the sun but it falls over
0: Mm, yeah so i think we do need leaders leaving loudly don't we around this if we only see a model of success where most of the um senior people in your organization or most of the men or whoever it is are you know only uh you know doing the traditional way of working and you know being more focused on presenteeism rather than output, um, and we don't have men and women, you know, leaving loudly. Then it's very difficult to, um, you know, be able to be courageous, I guess, to say, "Oh, well, okay, I'll give that a go." Because if we don't see that, um, as they say, "You cannot see what you don't see," and and I think that's that's very true. And you know, exactly. so I agree with you. Role modeling, storytelling. Um, and having that leadership, um, all the leaders in organisations, is pretty crucial.
1: It's like all that brilliant work that you do, Emma, around sharing stories. It's It creates that behavioural nudge. If someone can see themselves in another person, and that's why it's so important with the leadership to have all different types of people, um, you know, in your case my case, sharing their stories about flexibility or um, being parenting and balancing work, then that, that sometimes is enough of a behavioural nudge for them to say, you know what, I'm going to give it a go, I'm going to try it. And that is, you know, that the same applies to managers, so managers seeing that other managers in the organisation are embracing it and adopting a team-based approach right through to individuals who are trying something new. And feeling safe that they can ask and have that conversation. So I'll just change tact for a little bit
0: because it's, there certainly are critics to flexible work, you know, that it's seen um, that you're not dedicated to your career or your employer if you are exercising flexible work, that the reality is um, we know that people um, feel that fear what do you say to the critics around? Well, yeah, it all sounds really nice, allowing it, you know, everyone to work flexibly, but we've got a business to run. Um, you know, that's the priority. I mean, have you faced any um, backlash around flexible work Day and or any um, any critics on this? What What do you say to the skeptics?
1: Hmm. Huh. Interestingly, not too many, and I think it's because. Like I mentioned, business is really starting to understand that if they don't catch up, then they're going to lose out because people, the competitive advantage argument is just getting stronger and stronger and people just will not stick around. Like a survey we did a couple of years ago said four in ten people would leave their job if they couldn't get the flexibility they need or if it was taken away. I now think that number would Mm. be far greater. And that's only three years ago. And so, yeah, the sceptics, look, when I walk into a business and and you do get that, you get people saying it can't happen here, it's about really unpacking what is sitting behind that fear because it's a fear, right? And so it's a fear of something going wrong. It's a fear of failure, um, fear of too much planning and administrative work. It's It's getting to the bottom of... What's driving that? Sometimes it can be because we've never had the conversation or we actually just think it is part-time and part-time can't happen here rather than exploring all the options. And so, yeah, it comes back to, to be honest, Emma, I haven't really had that many, many critics, Uh, but, yeah, it does come back to really opening up the conversation to really unpack I think, what's mm. sitting behind that fear.
0: Yes, and, you know, I, I think that's true, you know, like anything that where you um, feel a lack of control around what's going to happen if I offer flexibility here or I can't see what's going on
1: or whatever it might be and how am I going Can to... Can I share an example? Yes, please do. Because it's actually, and I think the reason why there aren't as many sceptics publicly is because it, it is irrefutable the um, the need and the way that this direction is going. But if I can use a, an example of a lady who I know who is rolling out flexibility in her environment, so she's in a retail store, and it came about because basically the training to bring these people up to speed is in, intense. It's very hard to replace a person, and this person had to go off on leave. Um, for a couple of weeks, they said, I might be available during the day. It's a shame I couldn't work from home. And this manager of the store said, look, let me see what I can do. So she went away and she worked through some core tasks that could be done remotely, um, which had never been done before in this organisation's history. And this person did them not only faster but she also took on some other quite strategic marketing-type initiatives, which meant that this store outperformed others wow. and then she replicated it across another one. But the challenge that we face here is that many of her peers are saying, well, what did you do that for? <laughs> You're making it tricky for all of us uh, because there's that fear of it's too hard. What if it doesn't work? What if things go wrong? Um uh, and this lady's really upfront. She's like, you just you have to have that conversation with your team. You have to make sure you've got the measures. You're measuring output, like you said, not presenteeism. And making sure you've got all of those things in place, and and productivity goes through the roof as a result, and loyalty and motivation of the team. So there's a classic example of of someone who you know wasn't sure if it could work, trialled it found that it had huge productivity gains for her and the team and has now replicated it. Oh, that's fantastic. Particularly in an environment where it's said it can't be done. Yeah, I I love those
0: kind of stories (laughs) because it really does show you that, you know, in some of the more... um, have, let's say, less obvious ways that flexibility can work, that there's always something that someone can do.
1: And sometimes it's just having that conversation, isn't it, with the team to say, what do you think? Well, that's right. And I love the fact that really,
0: flexibility is what you make of it. And, you know, there's not a, um, a, a definition that says flexibility must be done this way. Otherwise, it's not flexible, you know. And yeah. it, I mean, that's the very point of it, isn't it?
1: Flexible. And that's why you and I love it but that's also why some people are absolutely petrified of it. Well that's right yes and that's okay because we've all been there but it's about recognizing what's sitting behind those fears.
0: Well that's right. Now you touched on the uplift. That this particular business got from allowing the flexibility, you know, sometimes the research on this is a little thin on the ground. What what return on investment do you think? Do you know the uplift to engagement and turnover
1: um, that exists for organisations that uh, offer flexible work? Oh, look, I don't, I don't have a general number, but I do know organisation when I started working back in. Would have been 2015, they were quite rigid on the metrics they were tracking and the reason why they went down the flexibility path back then was because their unplanned leave was through the roof and they actually sat with people and said what's going on. They did a whole lot of um, analytics and they could see people were taking off Wednesdays, which is apparently a common day for sick days, unplanned leave. And when they had the conversations, it was people didn't feel like they could have an hour off in the middle of the day or come in late for an appointment or or whatnot. So then they started um, to have the conversations around the flex measures, and then they actually measured unplanned leave as one of their key metrics. It dropped by 1.3 days per FTE which is a huge cost mm. if you've got a 1,000 employees. Yes, wow. So that, that's a key one. Uh, so if you're looking yeah. at implementing this, it's about being clear up front. What are just a couple of measures? So, you know, some could be around job satisfaction or employee satisfaction. It could be like you mentioned earlier around the, you know, how many people work flexibly, informally or formally. Mm. Or it could be down to that level around... Um, unplanned leave Mm. and things like Mm -hmm. that measuring productivity you know can be tricky in certain environments because you're measuring output Mm. Mm. but it's working through and again it's sometimes asking the teams and people about well how could we measure our productivity better
0: and I think it's incredibly important I I remember some statistics uh, I think 2016 that suggested that work-life conflict or interference costs the economy the Australian economy something like 23 billion dollars a year through some of the things the measures that you're just talking about and I I think it's got to be a must that organizations you know who you know certainly have a, a larger employee base must be asking you know, what kind of, yeah, flexible work and, and, you know, how are their employees going at their work-life balance? Are they getting the flexibility they need? And that that is something that they're going to need to be surveying every year to make sure that they can see the continual um, growth of their business and how people are uh, responding to to flexible work. Are they getting what they need? Um, What's the impact to continue to build the business case for it?
1: Exactly, and the other thing is, you know, around the exit surveys, I've heard many businesses who have dropped them, so when people resign, you know, it's good practice to have a conversation with that person to understand some of the reasons, mm. and if you have got that process, it is quite useful looking at, you know, the, the reasons why people have resigned or gone to a competitor and adding in that question mm. around flexibility Mm, because it's all
0: feedback exactly so as we conclude this conversation tell us what's your vision for flexible work in Australia and obviously now globally into the future what's on the horizon do you think for 2020 and beyond when it comes to flexible work
1: we are fast embedding it so you know that that term flexism which I um defined a couple of years ago, I think is being tackled. And so my vision is for flexism to be addressed. So really, for me, what that means is for flexibility to be available for everyone for any reason, but, but importantly, for business to be able to really focus in on how this is a key strategic initiative for them to help them gain competitive advantage. So if you're listening today and you've got some peers or you've got your management team who are sceptics, sometimes it's as simple as pointing out what your competitors are doing. And many of the organisations in your industry have got very public profiles perhaps uh, who share what they're doing. Sometimes it's as simple as that. And so, my vision is really about continuing the conversation, continuing to showcase what works and what doesn't, also. And yeah, to keep the conversation going.
0: Yeah. I, look, I think, it, as said, you know, businesses, I know my business included, we want to be an, an employer of choice for flexibility. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, that's going to attract, as you say, the best talent, but it's also going to make um that that ability to juggle work and family life much easier for people, um, which obviously increases productivity, um, all sorts of benefits that come from it. But I love that you're addressing flexism because we know that it's still an issue. Um, we haven't quite mainstreamed um, or normalized flexible work um, by any means across every Australian workplace, um, nor even have we uh, been able to achieve it at a government level we know politics has <laughs> taken a
1: mm-hmm. certainly
0: had uh, its own fair share of people MPs resigning because of um, the lack of flexibility mm. to balance uh, work and family demands. so much more work to be done in this space Vanessa I wish you a very happy flexible work day and all the best with your future work in relation to mainstream and flexible work. Thank you for talking to me today. Thank you, Emma, you too.